How's everyone doing? Good. Smiley faces. You guys, I mean, did you think about just some of those truths that we just sang there for a little bit? Uh, I know we come in here on Sunday nights, we come in here on Sunday mornings, and we get to sing together, and we get to proclaim these words really, really loud, or maybe really, really quietly and timidly. Uh, But like really to think about the truths of those words that we could stand together knowing that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, has rescued us, has sent Jesus Christ to die in our place so that we could draw near to him, uh, so that we could exclaim together hallelujah, so that we could have a living hope, knowing that Jesus Christ is alive and our hope is in someone, a person, God, who is alive. Uh, Praise God. That's why we say hallelujah. It means like, let us give praise to God together. Uh, So hallelujah? hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good. Well, hey, we have been going through a series here on Sunday nights in the book of Ephesians called To the Praise of His Glory. Uh, What we said is that the biblical vision for what life is all about, it is seeing, it is pursuing, it is enjoying and proclaiming the glory of God. That this reality, the glory of God, making much of God, giving a right reflection of God, or making public what is true and beautiful about God, this is what should consume our lives. This is what wakes us up in the morning, and when we're getting ready to let our feet hit the floor, we are passionately consumed with the idea of seeing more of the glory of God. We are passionately consumed with the idea of making much of the glory of God in every thought, in every word, and in every action. Uh, And that when we go to bed at night, this is what we're thinking about. Uh, We're rejoicing in the moments throughout the day where we saw God's glory. We're rejoicing in the moments where we got to make much of God's glory. And then we're longing for God willing a tomorrow where we can make much of God's glory again. As followers of Jesus, uh, as sons and daughters of God Almighty, the one blazing center of our lives is to make much of God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. Uh, To the praise of his glory. That's what we're looking at here in the book of Ephesians and seeing how all of life is designed to be lived like that. Uh, In order to live to the praise of his glory, we first have to know who we are. We said that the book of Ephesians is set up six chapters. The first three are all about salvation accomplished, uh, how we came into relationship with God, how we came to see the glory of God and treasure the glory of God and embrace the glory of God. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians are all about salvation applied, how I then begin to live out as one who has been reconciled with God. So we started in chapter one because that's like a really good place to start, right? Uh, Chapter one, seeing how God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. If you think back to that text, if you look in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter one even, uh, just think about the glory of that truth. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He hasn't withheld some of them. You don't have to earn more of them as you keep being better and better. In the moment that you come to Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And you've been blessed by the Father. 
You've been blessed by the Son, and you have been blessed by the Spirit in every way and for all time, right now, through the course of your life, and on through eternity. Then we moved into chapter 2. Chapter 2 begins by reminding us that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, that we were disobedient, and in our sin and disobedience, we were destined for wrath. God's holy hatred poured out towards sinners and their sin was to be incurred upon our heads because we were walking in a way that was not pleasing to the Lord, because we were living in our hearts as rebels in opposition to God Almighty, our Creator. But as the passage continues, it reminds us, but God, God being rich in mercy, and because of the great love with which he loved us. Don't let that be a familiar verse. But God, because of his great mercy and the love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. God did this so that he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. God saved us to the praise of his glory. That as sons and daughters of the king gather before his throne, knowing that we were once rebels living in opposition to him, and now we've been reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus Christ, only God receives the glory for that. And so once we're in Christ, it's to the praise of his glory, and all of our lives begin to be about the praise of his glory. Uh, I am super thankful for Pastor Robbie and for Pastor Eric opening up God's word with us over the last couple weeks. Are you guys thankful for them? So they kind of were thankful, so that's good. We appreciate that. I personally was blessed and encouraged as they came and preached God's word to us. Pastor Robbie uh, showed us that we who were once far off, we who were once separated from God, we who were once without God in the world and without hope have been brought near by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then last week, uh, Pastor Eric showed us that Jesus Christ is our peace. He came to preach peace to us who are far and to those who were near. He is the one who enables us to break down walls and to remove the barriers in our lives and in our relationships with the Lord. That Jesus Christ came and he brought peace and he brought reconciliation between God and all of God's children. And this reconciliation applied regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, regardless of IQ, regardless of background, regardless of anything, Jesus Christ is the one who has provided access to the Father for anyone who would turn from their sins and trust in him alone for their salvation. Well, since we've been brought near to God, and since we've been brought together in Christ, and since we have access to the Father, what does all of that mean? Uh, Please grab your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we are going to pick up in verses 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. God's Word says this, So then, by the way, anytime you see a so then, It's like in light of everything that I've just said, right? 
in light of the reality that you've been brought near, in light of the reality that you've been brought together with all of God's children, in light of the reality that you have access to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This passage here, these four short verses proclaim to us that we are no longer strangers and aliens. We are no longer separated from God. We are no longer outsiders. Instead, we are fellow heirs of God's grace. We are fellow citizens with the rest of God's people. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Where you once were a rebel, where you once were an enemy of God, where you were once in vehement opposition to God, it's a real word, you can look it up, where you once stood in complete disarray and disunity and disharmony with the Lord, he has, through the blood of Christ, called you a citizen of his kingdom. Uh, think about what it means for us to be a citizen of a country. Is everyone in here a citizen of the United States of America? Congratulations, you did it, right? Uh, but depending on which country you're a citizen of, there are different rights, there are different benefits, there are different protections that come with that citizenship simply because you belong to that country. When you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, your citizenship is no longer of this world. Yes, you might be a citizen of the United States of America, but that is not ultimately where your citizenship lies. Your citizenship lies in a heavenly country that is in God's kingdom. And when sinners repent and when we believe for the first time, it often feels like not a whole lot happens like not much happened in that moment when I turned from my sin and trusted in Jesus. And it doesn't look like a whole lot happened. Our personality profile doesn't instantly change. Our IQ, like we don't get instantly smarter because of that. Uh, the photo on our driver's license, if you have one of those, doesn't change. It looks the same before our conversion as it does after, right? So on the outside, and maybe even internally, it doesn't feel like a whole lot is different. Similarly, when a foreigner who's just attained citizenship in a country of residence, they won't feel like things really change. It won't look really different all at once. And upon receiving that formal declaration of their citizenship, it seems like nothing really happened, right? But they became a part of an entirely new nation. And because of that, now all of the rights and privileges that every citizen of that country enjoys, they too also enjoy. Uh, I've heard it illustrated like this. So just imagine with me for a second that you are Ali and Zara. You're a young married couple from Iran. You live off of $13,000 a year, which is $35 a day. You have two children that are living at home with you, so that equates to $2.90 per person per meal if the only expense that you had in life was paying for your food. Uh, once when you were younger, you said how you disagreed with your government's new policy on foreign affairs for which you were beat until an inch of your life. 
You've not made that mistake since. You are, of course, Muslim, for it's illegal to be any other religion. One of your best friends growing up got caught sleeping with his girlfriend. He was executed shortly afterwards at the ripe old age of 13. Another one of your friends was caught for stealing, only to be sentenced to the removal of their right hand. You flee from Iran to the U.S., and upon arrival, you're granted refugee status. You can begin to work towards becoming a citizen of the United States, and after many years, the day finally comes when you can officially become a citizen of the United States. You enter the office, you shake a hand, you sign a paper, you get a certificate, and you walk back out, and it seems like nothing has changed, and yet, everything has changed. Your entire reality, what you imagine life to be and what you can expect and what you can hope for in life has instantly changed by virtue of signing that document, by virtue of no longer being a citizen of the country from which you came, but now becoming a citizen of a new country. This quiet change that takes place when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it has cosmic significance. A fallen sinner has become an invincible heir of the universe. That we who were separated from God are now called citizens in his kingdom. Don't miss the glory of this reality. Don't miss the glory of this truth that you who once opposed God are now a citizen of his kingdom. And because you are a citizen, to you belongs all the rights, privileges, every spiritual blessing that goes for everyone who belongs to God's kingdom. Uh, Look at how the verse continues. It says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Not only are you considered a citizen of a new country, but you're also considered part of a new family. Uh, You belong to God's family now. If you are in Christ, if we are in Christ, then we are no longer just a part of our family by blood. We are now a part of God's family. Now we begin to call God Father, and we begin to call one another brother and sister. I mean, just think about that. Think about that. Look at the person to your right. Look at the person to your left. Try not to giggle and whatever, okay? Uh, But uh, if you're in Christ and if they're in Christ— They're your brother and sister in a deeply spiritual way that's going to last forever. So if you don't like the person sitting next to you, I'm sorry. Um, But you're going to be with them for eternity if you're in Christ and they're in Christ. But just imagine that. Like For us, that's really, really cool. Some of us have great family situations. Others of us uh, don't have such great family situations. And so to have brothers and sisters in Christ is just a massive blessing. Because we've never experienced what that's like to have genuine love and fellowship amongst somebody else, some of our peers, some other people that are in our lives. Uh, Maybe some of us have great relationships with our fathers. Maybe others not so much. Uh, But God is our perfect father in heaven, and he allows us to call him father. We become members of God's family the moment that we turn from our sins and trust in him. We belong to God and we belong to one another. We become responsible for one another. We're no longer strangers or just individuals that are going about life on our own, doing our own thing. Uh, Now we're family. Like it or love it, we are family in this room if we belong to God together. 
And so we do life together like a family. That means we sacrifice for one another. That means that we love one another. That means that we give to one another. That means that we serve one another. That means that we do things that we don't really get cranked up about, but we do them because we know that that's what's loving towards our brothers and sisters. When there's a need in the house, we don't look around and say, well, that's not my mess. I'm not cleaning that up. No, we clean it up, right? When we look around and see that there's something that has to get done, we don't say, that's not really my expertise. I'm not super great at doing that. So I'm just going to have somebody else just do that, right? Um, Some of us do that with our chores. That is not okay. It is your expertise to take out the trash. You can do it. I promise. Okay? Uh, But this is how it is in the family of God. We see a need. We fill the need. Uh, We see a need and we jump on it because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ because we belong to God's family. And this kind of family bond that we have in Christ, it supersedes all other kinds of natural relations, right? It supersedes ethnicity. It supersedes our gender. It supersedes even our socioeconomic class. It means how rich or how poor you are. None of that matters because if you belong to Christ, then you belong to one another. You belong to your brother and sister. So you're not doing life anymore on your own. You no longer have to celebrate victory in your life quietly by yourself as if nobody else knows. No, you invite your brothers and sisters into that and you rejoice in that. And I'll just say for our small groups, when you guys break out, our leaders know that it is not about a sin hunt every Sunday night. And let's just talk about every area that you're screwing up. No, no, no. Like, let's talk about the grace that God is giving us in our lives and let's rejoice in hope in seeing us becoming more and more like Jesus. And yeah, let's talk about sin. Let's deal with that, right? But let's deal with it as brothers and sisters in Christ who know the power of the gospel because of what God has done in our lives and long to see that in one another's lives. We don't celebrate victories on our own and we also don't go through trials alone. We have one another because we belong to God's family, because we are part of God's household. We belong to him, and we belong to one another. Then verses 20 through 22, uh, what Paul does here is he begins to use an entirely different kind of imagery. He's talked about citizenship. He's talked about being members of a household. And now he starts bringing in all kinds of structural imagery. Look at verses 20 through 22. He says that you were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, You notice all of these words here in these last couple of verses that have to do with building, that have to do with structure. Uh, Don't forget, he's writing this to the saints who are in Ephesus. It was God's word to them before it was God's word to us. And so back when Paul was writing, there was this temple in the midst of Ephesus. It was called the Temple of Artemis, and it looked something like this. Yes, okay? Uh, This is the Temple of Artemis. It was a temple to the goddess Artemis. And in fact, this was actually one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. So the Temple of Artemis, when people thought of Ephesus, uh, they just, the first thing they thought of was this temple, this structure. That's what put it on the map. Uh, So for instance, it kind of would have been like this. Uh, I say New York City, you think of Big Apple, Statue of Liberty, that's kind of more what I'm thinking. Uh, Empire State Buildings, anyone get cranked up about that anymore? 
not really, that's kind of old news, okay. Uh, Washington, D.C.? White House, okay, there's a little bit more of a consensus on that. San Francisco? Golden Gate Bridge. Some of you guys are like, I don't even know where San Francisco is. Uh, London? <laughs> Somebody just went bridge. London Bridge is falling down. Good, good. Uh, okay, uh, let's come back to the United States. Uh, Seattle? <laughs> well, that didn't go how I thought it would. We need to work on our geography. I don't know if any of you would pass the citizenship test for the United States. So in Ephesus, there was this temple, the temple of Artemis. And this is what everyone all together at once would have said if we were living back then. And I said Ephesus, everyone would have gone temple of Artemis. Okay, Uh, that's what that moment would have been like. Uh, Let me describe this for you. It was a massive structure, especially for the first century. Uh, It was 425 feet long. That's the length of a football field from the end of an end zone all the way to the other end of an end zone. It was more than 60 feet tall, and it was perfectly constructed. Uh, The people back then, they understood how the eye perceived things, and so they actually built it incorrectly so that it would look exactly correct to the human eye. So they knew that when you had so much space and you had a flat floor, that it actually began to look like it dipped in the middle. And so they built it with just the ever so slight kind of raise in the middle of the floor so that when you stood on one end of it and gone back to the other, you would have seen perfectly flat. Uh, Same kind of reality with the columns. Uh, The columns, they understood that if you looked at the columns, they looked to get a little bit wider towards the top. And so what they did is they actually bent them in just a little bit. It was such a slight angle that the two points, if you were to draw these straight lines, it would be two miles up into the sky before they met. Uh, They were that precise and they wanted it to look that perfect because they thought that Artemis was worthy of such devotion, of such worship. The people in Ephesus depended on Artemis. They trusted in Artemis. And this temple represented the greatness of Artemis. Paul uses this imagery here in verses 20 through 22 to say to God's people in Ephesus and to say to us now, listen, Artemis has nothing on God. Artemis is nothing. And the temple to Artemis, that's not the real deal. You are the real deal because God is the real deal and you are God's temple. You exist to point to God and you are far more beautiful, you are far more glorious and you are being far more perfected. You are far more lasting than any kind of temple of Artemis or anything else that man can create. God is saying to us in his word, you are God's temple. And this is the temple of Artemis today. And look around you right now. This is the temple of God. It is God's people gathered together and it is God's people all throughout the face of the earth. And we are alive and well and God is continuing to perfect us, to make us beautiful, to ready his bride for eternity with him. Not so the temple of Artemis as it lies in ruins. You are the new temple not only citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not only members of God's household, but you and I are the new temple. 
the temple for Jerusalem that the people of God used to go and worship the Lord at, uh, that was destroyed. But the temple of Artemis was also destroyed. But if you look around, God is still at work dwelling in his people, and he indwells us individually, and he dwells amongst us as we gather together corporately. All throughout the centuries, the temple is the place where God's people went to meet with God. God is saying, look, my presence is no longer manifest in just one specific geographical location. Now God's presence is made manifest to us in a people, not a place. God's presence is made known to us, is seen in a people, not a place. And it's in his people, citizens of his kingdom, members of his household. He goes on here in verse 20 at the end there. He says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the first stone that's laid in any building project. And it is the stone that sets the tempo for the rest of the building. If the cornerstone is off, if it's not positioned in the right place or not exactly square or exactly right, then the whole thing begins to lose its shape. He's saying, look, Jesus is the cornerstone and he is exactly who he needed to be and he did exactly what he needed to do and he cannot be moved. Jesus Christ in his life, in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension and in his certain return is the cornerstone of our faith. It is the foundation that cannot be moved. And then from this cornerstone, he continues in verse 21. He says, and this is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That God has built his foundation for his people and what it looks like to be members of his household and citizens in his kingdom and the place where God meets with his people. He's given to us the apostles and the prophets, which is a way that God's word describes his word. The words that have been spoken through God's prophets, the words that have been spoken through his apostles. In other words, the Bible that you have open on your lap, this is the foundation. This is what the whole structure is built upon. God's revelation, God's spoken word to you and to me. How do we continue to grow? How do we continue to be built up into the structure that God is building? We look to God's word. This is where we go to understand who we're to be and how we're to live and how we're to depend on God so that we might be that and so that we might live that. We daily feed on God's word. We daily come to his scriptures and submit our lives to the words that he has spoken. Does reading God's word every day make you a good Christian? Does reading God's word every day make you a mature Christian? No. Not necessarily, but I don't know very many mature Christians. In fact, I don't know any at all who are not regularly feeding on God's word. So just because you read it every day doesn't mean that you're applying. It doesn't mean that you're asking that the Holy Spirit of God would be taking it to transform your life. But I don't know any mature Christians who are not constantly and regularly feeding on the truth that God has revealed to us. So we build our lives on God's word. We build our lives on what he's revealed first in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and then through the rest of scriptures and what God has revealed to us. And so verse 22 says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
We are being built into a holy temple in the Lord by the Spirit of God. That you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are being built together by the Spirit. It's the Father's design, the Son is the cornerstone, and the Spirit is the master builder. It's not something that we're doing on our own, in our own power, in our own wisdom, in our own strength. Our being built together into this temple where God's presence dwells is something that the Holy Spirit of God is working in us as his people. So this passage, these four short verses declare to us that we are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but we have been brought back in to the family of God. We are now members of God's household. And it's telling us that we no longer have to go to a geographical location in order to meet with God, but that the Holy Spirit lives in us and the Holy Spirit dwells amongst us as we gather together. Because we are the new temple. We are the place where God's presence dwells. And we take great hope in knowing that we're not doing this on our own. That we're not building ourselves up into this. This is something that the Spirit of God is building us into. If you belong to Christ, this is who you are. You're a citizen of his kingdom. You're a member of his household. You're part of the new temple. And the Spirit of God is working in you and amongst you and your brothers and sisters to create a place where God's presence dwells. So as we wrap up our time, let me ask, do you live like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Or do you live more like a citizen of this world? I mean, your hopes, your dreams, the rights and the privileges that you hold on to, are they the rights and privileges? Are they the hopes and dreams of what this world has to offer? Or is it what God has to offer in his eternal kingdom? What satisfies your soul? Are you constantly longing for everything that the world has to offer? Or do you know that there's nothing that this world can offer that will ever satisfy your soul and that you are only satisfied when you are near to the Lord and when you are growing in the Lord and when you are serving the Lord and when you are living to the praise of his glory? Are you bound to this world or are you longing for heaven? Maybe here's an easy way to answer that question. When's the last time that you thought about heaven? When's the last time that you longed to be out of this world in its present existence and to be with the Lord forever? What about this? Are you living like a member of the household of God? Or are you living like a member of some other household? Do you love and care for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you more concerned about some other people in your life? Are you more concerned about being a part of the household of maybe the more popular kids at school? Or are you more concerned about being a part of God's household? Or are you isolating yourself, saying, I don't want to be a part of anyone's household. I want to be by myself, on my own. Leave me alone. What about this? Are you seeking the presence of God? And are you consciously aware of his presence in your life? As you worked your way through today, maybe just think about that. At what points were you consciously aware of God's presence? Were you just kind of going throughout the day and just doing your thing on autopilot, doing what you do on a Sunday, showing up at 545, doing your thing out there, coming in here? Or are you like consciously aware that God is here? 
that he's been with us. That if you're in Christ, he'll be with you when you leave from here and Portillo's. Unless you do a bad job at Portillo's. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Uh, but are you aware of God's presence in your life? And do you long for more of God's presence? Not that you're going to have like more of a quantity of that, uh, but that you'll be more aware of it. And when you come to gather on Sunday nights, when we come to gather on Sunday mornings, when we're together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, are we like longing to experience God, to draw near to God, to relate with God, to be aware of his very presence? And last one, are you surrendering your life to the work of the Spirit of God? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work in your life and through your life? Or are you striving in the flesh, trying to please God on your own? Trying to do all the right things and muscle up enough willpower and just try, 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 try harder? Or are you depending on the Spirit of God to help you live like a citizen of His kingdom? To help you long for the things of heaven? Are you depending on God to help you live like a member in His household and to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you depending on God to make you more consciously aware of His presence and to long for more ex uh, experience or understanding or awareness of His presence? Or else are you trying to build yourself up on your own in your own strength and in your own wisdom? Brothers and sisters, if we're to live to the praise of His glory, it starts by knowing who we are. Because if we don't know who we are, if we don't understand our identity in Christ, then we cannot live to the praise of His glory. We'll be confused. We won't know what we were created for, and we won't know how we're to live. But it's when we understand these truths, no longer citizens of the world, citizens of heaven, no longer just members of my family, but members of the family of God, no longer just me on my own, but being built together into a temple for God, for His presence, and by His Spirit. All of these things about who we are to the praise of God's glory. So, Father, that's what we ask for. We ask that you would help us to daily and moment by moment understand more of who you have recreated us to be in Christ Jesus. That we are born again into citizens of a new kingdom, that we are born again into a new household, and that we are being built together into the temple for your dwelling. Father God, would we long for more of that? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that they would cling to that identity, that they would cling to that hopefulness of knowing that we belong to you. And Father, I also pray for those in this room who maybe don't know, who maybe feel more like Ali and Zara, living in a country which is filled with hurt and darkness and pain and carnage, and they do not know what it's like to enjoy all of the rights and privileges, all of the benefits, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Oh God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself tonight and that you would use your word to show them the compelling beauty of your goodness and kindness that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. And we do, Father, we gather together as your people and we proclaim your victory story in our lives.
so that you alone might receive the glory in Christ's name. Amen.